Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 35th episode, the Sergey Sorotkin episode. And I'm here after a wild Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Where to start with this one, honestly? From Friday all the way to Sunday, it was absolute pure entertainment. Oh, wow. Well, there's no time to waste, guys. Let's let's get right into the action at Interlagos. It's lights out and away we go. So, so much happened this weekend. I can't believe it. Even some just storylines that came out of the race. It's it's absolutely wild. I, I think I'm going to have to change how I recap this weekend, honestly, or else we're going to be here all day. Um, so, I guess let's go straight into quality. Uh, in Q1, I was pretty surprised by the Alfa Romeo struggling with a double elimination. In dry running, they looked pretty quick um, in free practice. And then their form also has been just much better these past two weekends. So to see them out, yes, it's a mixed conditions qualifying, but I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, moving on to Q2, though, I wouldn't say there is much to note here either. Although, I guess, shout out Albon who just missed out on Q3 like very narrowly. He actually reported some issue that he had with the car as well. So he was very close to making it into Q3. That would have been quite the performance. Still a strong showing in P11 though. But let's talk about what happened in Q3. Because this was one of the best qualifyings of the year based on just because of what the results ended up being. I wouldn't say it was the most intense because we didn't get a whole lot of on-track action to be honest. So up to this point, in Q3, you're looking at this. This it's looking like it might rain a little bit. To keep that in mind, um, but yeah, looking at who is in Q3, it's definitely Kevin Magnuson is the guy that you're looking at, and he's a bit out of place. You know, the Alpines, the McLarens, and then the the top six that are always there um, are there. So Daniel Ricciardo didn't make it into Q3, and Kevin Magnuson did. So he's kind of like the odd man out. It's not like there was some Alpha Tauris and Aston Martins in there too. Like, no, it was the Alpine, like the top four teams and Lando Norris and Kevin Magnuson. So since rain was on the way, it kind of makes for an interesting scenario because it basically means that the first lap that everyone does is going to be crucial because the track conditions might get a lot worse. And in Q3, there's less cars and there's less time for everyone to, you know, put the rubber down, get a dry line going, and then see the improvement. It's basically just your first lap is is all that's going to do it. And luckily for Haas, they were so pitiful last year that they have their garage all the way at the end of the pits. So Magnuson was able to get into the queue to get out onto the track first. And that proved crucial. I mean, not only was he able to get the best lap possible on the best conditions, he actually went onto provisional pole. And no, not just because he crossed the line first. Everyone had done a lap besides Leclerc, because that's a whole nother thing that I will get into in a second. Everyone did a lap, and even Perez and Hamilton like really struggled. Magnussen goes P1 ahead of Max Verstappen. Insane. And then shortly after that, red flag. Oh no. George Russell's in the gravel. George Russell was in P3. But basically, he ended qualifying right there because the conditions, like I said, were getting worse. There was like seven minutes left of Q3, but no one was even going out on track because there's just no point. A couple drivers gave it a shot, but it just wasn't worth it. They weren't even close. So Magnussen gets this super weird scenario 
of well the the radio message as he was coming in for the red flag because I think he knew once he once he found out what position he was in he was like this is probably going to be my position right and then they tell him he's p1 and he's like you're kidding no way like it was it was a really cool and just genuine reaction um and then he told everyone not to cheer and don't jinx it and everything and they basically got to celebrate pole position in the garage for like five minutes before it actually became true but yeah just awesome so much emotion in the Haas garage everyone after qualifying was congratulating them it was just awesome scenes just to think about where they were last year and even though this was definitely fortunate circumstances that led to this um not to mention Schumacher qualified P20 and Haas had a guy on pole (laughs) that is quite insane Schumacher I think he got he got kind of um left behind by the conditions because I think he was out on the track at the worst point and they might have even gambled with like slicks or inter- I don't actually even remember at this point. So much happened uh, this weekend that I can't be bothered to remember <laughs> what tires, what happened to Mick Schumacher and why he didn't qualify well. Because he actually, he did have good lap times. I think it was to do with where he was out on the track. But anyway, Magnussen had a fantastic qualifying, of course. And the guy was out of Formula One. Like he probably thought that he was never coming back as well. And then to give the team that, you know, gave him a shot, their first pole position, his first career pole position, just an amazing storyline. Like, I don't think there could have been a better storyline for someone getting pole at this stage of of the season, besides maybe Daniel Ricciardo or Lewis Hamilton, maybe. But I still don't think, definitely not Lewis, maybe Ricciardo. But yeah, Magnussen is probably one of the... Well, it's also because it's Haas's first, right? McLaren's had a very successful um, time in Formula 1 since they've joined, of course. So, yeah, honestly, just spectacular. And I messaged my friends as soon as George Russell brought out the red flag. I was like, guys, if it rains, a Haas is on pool. And a friend of mine was like, imagine what the betting odds would be for that. Like, <laughs> seriously, though, you probably could have made bank, but who bets on Haas for a pole? Well, I guess a couple of my friends bet on Latifi to, like, win the race one time, and I was like, that's literally just throwing away money. But they're like, oh, but if he won, we won, like, 50K. I'm like, <laughs> who cares? Like, <laughs> it literally has zero chance of happening. But anyway, uh, I guess the last thing to note in qualifying is what happened with Leclerc. Ferrari kind of looked... Like, they didn't know what they were doing the entire qualifying, to be honest. But in Q3, super weird scenario where they start Leclerc on intermediates. Now, think about this. I said your first lap matters the most. Everyone had been on slicks. The fastest times were at the end of Q2. So everyone had been on slicks. It was good enough for slicks. But Leclerc thinks it would be a good idea to go on the intermediates. So he goes out. Obviously, he's way too slow. He doesn't even complete a lap because they bring him in. He, he, he does his out lap, and then at the end of his second lap, instead of crossing the line, they bring him in to put on slicks. So I don't know what was going on there, but then while they were doing that, he didn't even get to do a lap because George Russell beached his Mercedes. So he doesn't even set a time. He's 10th, and it actually is funnily ends up Lewis in 8th, Perez P9, Leclerc in 10th, like, what <laughs> what are these three cars doing at the at the bottom of Q3? Just so strange. So Magnussen ahead of Verstappen and Russell. So for the sprint, we have 
quite a mixed up grid for the sprint. And I, I guess I actually, I, there is one thing I guess I should bring up because of the George Russell getting P3 before I move on to the sprint. And that is, you know, something that people have proposed. And that is, should you keep your times if you cause a red flag? Especially in Monaco, which is actually kind of a prevalent thing that we're going to talk about later. But even anywhere, if you cause a red flag in the qualifying, and then especially in wet conditions where, you know, it can get worse, should you be able to keep your position? Because... And any any track with gravel, you could just drive off. You could like pretend to lock up, drive off, and then get stuck in the gravel. Oh no, where was that positioned? Oh, I was P two. Sweet front row. Like it's it's kind of silly. So I think if if you're the one who makes the mistake, I actually have no problem with you. It like even getting a grid penalty or something. Um, I know it's kind of harsh calling it a grid penalty for just like making a mistake, but. I think that's fair, to be honest, as long as you're not getting knocked out of the session. Um, And what I mean by that is, like, if you were eighth, you cause a red flag, you're not getting knocked down further, like, into where the Q2 guys are. That would be silly. But I think moving down to the bottom of the session that you are in makes, makes actually sense. Or even if you're on pole and you cause a red flag, then you lose five places or something like that. Five places or to the point that you're at the bottom of the elimination zone or whatever. You know what I mean? So even if it's Q2, if you have the quickest time in Q2, then you still get into Q3. Well, yeah, but then that's actually a problem too. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe you do just need to get knocked down. It's only a Q3 thing as long as you're not getting a grid penalty past Q3. Anyway, maybe I'm just thinking out loud way too much here. I just think that it would be fair to penalize something um, with a red flag, I, I guess it is just the best way to do it would just be you lose your times. And if you're a red flag, you're probably out. So I think, yeah, you should just lose your times and you don't get to go through. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be curious to, to see what you guys think about that. Maybe I'll put a poll on my Twitter, um, at break F1 and some of my listeners can go on there and you guys can vote on the poll. I think that would actually be a really good idea because I think this is something that a lot of people would have an opinion on. Anyway, let's move on to the sprint. We haven't even got into the racing yet, folks. Um, I predicted that before the sprint, KMAG um, would finish P7. I thought that was pretty fair because I just thought the six faster cars would be able to get past them. They might like struggle to get past them sometimes, although it is Brazil it is a track that is pretty easy to overtake. And Magnuson actually got away really well. Um, however, before they, it even started, the tire blankets come off. Max was pretty much the only one up front who was on the mediums. Red Bull wanted an extra stop, uh, an extra soft for the race. They thought that they could get by Magnuson, you know, hold station up front. Their car and Max would have enough pace. But to Max and Red Bull's surprise, it turned out that the tire choice would cost him. You'll see in a sec. So like I said, Magnuson got away very well to start. Actually got to lead for like a couple laps. I think in in lap four, he was finally passed. So pretty cool for him. But I mean, let's talk about what happened in lap one. And we're going back a little bit further down the grid 
to, I think it was about 6th and 7th, Ocon and Alonso, the Alpine F1 team. Oh boy, things certainly got feisty between the Alpines. Ocon goes down the inside of turn 4, and he pushes Alonso out pretty wide, and it really looked like Alonso was about to completely lose the car. His back end completely came out, and what a save. Nobody is talking about that. What an incredible save from Alonso. That was actually insane, and he keeps right behind Ocon. He doesn't even lose a position out of it, I don't believe. Maybe one. I can't actually quit. No, yeah, because... I'm pretty sure Hamilton was right behind them, and I don't think Hamilton got the position on Alonso there. I don't know. I actually kind of forget. But Alonso, not very happy about what Ocon did, pushing him wide. Um, He actually is right on the back of him when it gets to the straight. Alonso slipstreaming him, and just like he did in Austin, which is kind of peculiar, he pulls out kind of late and any defensive move becomes you know what happened with Stroll and Stroll's was way too egregious and that's why he was you know penalized for that but Ocon doesn't really make a defensive move and Alonso goes into him and loses his front wing and then he is getting really bitchy on the radio saying you know um, I lost my front wing thanks to our friend Um, he pushed me wide and then on the straight he ran into me well done And honestly, I thought it was just silly from the both of them, especially when they're in a tight championship battle with McLaren. They both tumbled down the order. And actually, Ocon's pace fell off so hard because Alonso actually came in to to fix the front wing and his race is basically over. But his pace actually was very strong when he got on the new tire. And Ocon fell off so hard that Alonso was actually able to repass Ocon, which is kind of crazy to think about. And as he passed him in the sprint, he says something like insane. I, I saw this radio on the TikTok. Um, on the TikTok. Wow, I sound like I'm 50 years old. Um, but <laughs> I saw it on TikTok. Um, Alonso was like saying like, bye, bad kid or something. What he was like driving past him. Oh, classic Alonso. But Alonso ended up not getting ahead of Ocon because he was penalized for what happened on the straight. And honestly, to give my thoughts on it, I was really, it was it was weird what Alonso was saying because I think he was just like worked up about what happened at turn four. He, it was totally unnecessary what he did on the straight. Like he was so close for no reason. Yes, you can slipstream him up to the last second, but like he barely pulled out and then he blamed Ocon. Like I didn't even see any movement from Ocon. So that was just odd and it really cost the both of them a lot. And, you know, they started very far back, the both of them, right? Um, and the McLarens were in a great spot to capitalize on Sunday. Anyways, moving on from just Alpines in lap one. Uh, Hamilton, Perez, and Leclerc, like I said, they were 8, 9, and 10. They're having some good success making their way through the field. They were able to dispatch Norris and Magnussen, and then, of course, the Alpines took each other out. So, at this point, it's George Russell, uh, Carlos Sainz, and I got Verstappen up front. But, further back, just before I get into this up front battle, I want to quickly mention Vettel and Stroll. 
because Vettel goes to pass his teammate on the back straight and <laughs> Stroll again <laughs> moving just way too dangerously on the straight. I think this one was arguably worse than what he did with Alonso and Austin. It yeah, he he pushed Vettel right onto the grass and honestly, you know what I thought it looked very reminiscent of and this might sound rich coming from a Hamilton fan, but Spain 2016 Vettel was moving a lot to, you know, stay ahead, or sorry, to get by Stroll, just like Hamilton was trying to get past Rosberg, and Rosberg pushed Hamilton right out onto the grass, and people were saying that it was kind of Hamilton's fault, which blows me away. I think the the difference between them is that Stroll's move was a little bit later, and that does make a huge difference. However, it honestly looked very similar. Like it was both just defending each other on the straight, their teammates, of course, pushing a guy onto the grass. Vettel was lucky not to spin out. He just kept going and had a kind of a funny radio message. All it was was, okay, he's on the way out. Vettel's just like, I don't have to deal with this shit anymore, which is kind of funny too because Alonso's going from Ocon to Stroll next year. Oh, Alonso, you just can't get away from the drama, can you? But yeah, no, I thought it looked a lot like 2016 Spain. Of course, the collision that led to Max's first ever victory. Max was, of course, very impressive that day. But anyway, we're not talking about Spain 2016. Um, Looking up front now, Russell is starting to look very punchy. Like out of nowhere, I think they were showing maybe it maybe even was the Aston Martin. They were showing something else on the F1 TV direction at the time. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Russell's right on the back of Max Verstappen. And it was kind of funny because... Russell was kind of in that area the whole time, but he was never really challenging Max. Then all of a sudden, he's like right on the back, and then for like three, four laps of excellent racing, amazing defense from Max Verstappen, by the way. He blows past Max on lap 15 of 24. Like I said, it was about three, four laps of attempting to get past Max, and Max just defended very, very brilliantly. Eventually, he just did not have the traction to... to, to keep up with a Mercedes on the straight in a Red Bull, that's kind of crazy to think about. But clearly he was struggling because lap, lap lap 19, Signs lunges down the inside of turn one very aggressively um, on Max and pulls off the move with slight contact. Max lost a bit of his front wing. But, you know, Signs definitely still pulled off the move. That's why there was no investigation. And then from there... Max just really had no defense from Lewis because by the time they got back to the pit straight, Lewis absolutely blew past him. And Lewis was right on Sainz's tail by that point too. They He had done a very good job to catch up in the sprint. Um, but yeah, I guess from there, I think it'd be time to move on to the race. Sainz picked up an impressive P2 holding off Lewis by like four tenths of a second and George Russell wins the sprint. So that was definitely unexpected. Mercedes wins their first race of the season, although it's a sprint. I was actually saying on Twitter with a couple people, I am, as far as I'm concerned, Mercedes still hadn't won a race. I would not count a sprint race as a as a race win for the entire season, especially at a team like if, if Haas wins a sprint race. Okay, yes, they probably are still not Grand Prix winners in the statistics, but like that is wild for for a team like that to win a sprint race. That's wild for a team like Mercedes you can't be satisfied with a sprint race win. So as far as I was concerned, yeah, I was not counting that. But yeah, they actually gave themselves a front row lockout because Signs had a five-place penalty for a, a new ICE. 
Also, I guess to mention Kevin Magnuson, because he was the guy on pole, he ended up taking P8, meaning he has scored in every single sprint race this season. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, for the Haas, a team that's sitting down in eighth to score in every single sprint. Like, you have to be in the top eight. If you were top eight in the in the Grand Prix, you know, that's four points. And four points for a team like Haas is quite a bit. So, it is kind of crazy. They only have three a year. Haas has been so inconsistent, but they're on at every sprint race. Kind of strange. Anyway, we're like 20 minutes in here, and we still haven't even talked about the race. Unfortunately for K-Mag, the uh, good fortune stops here everyone gets away fairly well uh on lap one until the right hander into the senna s where daniel ricardo of all people taps him a bit on the rear which led magnuson into uh, a spin and the spin actually ended up reversing back into daniel ricardo like instant karma taking them both out and Ricardo will start his potential last race of his career with a three-place grid penalty. Going out on a high could have been so crucial for him and immediately takes himself out of the race. He didn't have that great of a sprint. He didn't have that great of a qualifying. And then a completely his-fault collision. Ugh. Just a big, massive oof. So we get an early safety car, and oh boy again. Oh boy. The restart. Wow. I Rus- Russell takes off late. Of course, Russell is leading from Lewis Hamilton. He takes off late, leaves Lewis hanging out to dry just, just a little bit, and Verstappen, who was P3 on the grid, goes for an aggressive move around the outside. And I was a little bit worried. I thought Max is going to be able to make the move stick. Russell really made it tough for Hamilton going into turn one. So Verstappen's carrying a lot of speed around the outside. Hamilton had the inside line in turn one. Now it's the other way around for turn two. Verstappen has the inside line. And 2021. (laughs) What else can you say? Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton can just not share the same piece of track, can they? neither one of them gives an absolute inch to each other. I feel like ever since Silverstone, Lewis just came to the realization, this is how I have to race this guy. And no, I'm, I don't want to get into the into the Silverstone crash. I know that gets Max fans very upset. I, I mean, I guess everyone upset, I guess. It gets Lewis fans upset as well. But I'm not getting into that. I just, I'm more talking about how they've had to race each other since then. It's such a psychological like warfare thing, I think. I think as soon as one backs down to the other, it's kind of like they're now the king. Like I don't you know I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. They just they only race each other like that. It is it is insane. Like I know Lewis just will not give an inch to Max anymore. You know what? Lewis didn't give Max enough space. At the same time, Max went in like a wrecking ball as well. I thought it was just don't give them either a penalty. That's that's what I said. My parents were actually watching the race with me. And they were like, they didn't really know what was going on. They were kind of asking me. And I was like, honestly, by the looks of it, I you know, race stewards and, and all, they, they have way more angles than I do and, and data and stuff. 
So it's hard for me to say, but just watching the race, I honestly thought if anyone gets a penalty, I think it's Lewis, but I don't think anyone's going to get a penalty. And then later on, Max gets a five-second penalty. So that really sucks for him because Max actually got the worst of the collision as well. It uh, sent them both down. Lewis was P8, Max was like P9, but Max had to come in to the pits. So he was basically sent all the way to the back after the new front wing. And just a few corners later, um, Max, when he's in the pits, he's met by Charles Leclerc because as soon as the the pair of Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were out of the way, Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc get in a little battle. And Lando Norris spins Charles Leclerc out into the barriers. And this one is crazy to me because when I saw that, I was like, first of all, when is when is Lando ever doing that? Like Lando's one of the cleanest drivers on the grid, I believe. And he was getting a little aggressive there, trying to defend the position. And he completely took Charles out. And I think it was a slam dunk. Lando got a five-second penalty. But the craziest part to me is that it looked like a pretty, I wouldn't say gnarly crash, but it looked like a slam dunk like Charles Leclerc is out of this race. And he was fine. I mean, it was actually wild. He just got the car back going and drove to the pits, got a new front wing and continued to race. It was actually wild. I could not believe it. But yeah, like I said, Lando gets the five second pen. So that hurt his race a lot as well. Um, And yeah, like I said, after all that chaos, we don't even get a safety car, which just really blew me away. Um, From P8, Lewis was able to catch back up with the top four with Russell out front, followed by Perez and Sainz. Unfortunately for Signs, though, he was kind of taken out of contention um, or at least put on the back foot because of a tear-off causing his brakes to overheat, um, which means he had to come in early and he was just kind of – the strategy was off with everyone. So that was unfortunate for Signs, who I think honestly had a, a really fantastic weekend. But let's move on to the second stint. After everyone had pitted, Russell was really starting to pull away from Perez, who I thought would have, would have been in the battle. Hamilton was also flying. He was actually able to pass Perez to make it a 1-2 for Mercedes. Um, this is around lap 50 of 71. And then all of a sudden, Lando Norris is out. He he His stricken McLaren is somewhere in the middle of the Sen S's, and I'm like, oh boy. Here we go, here we go, because basically everyone in the top had already pitted, and Sainz was actually on the freshest rubber, and Perez was out on mediums, which really hurt because when the safety car restart came, Perez was not able to hold anyone behind, really, the the Ferraris. Leclerc, remember when I thought that he was out? He he was right back in it. Leclerc passing Perez after Sainz, or uh, yeah, after signs passed Perez. So at this point, Hamilton, right behind George Russell, was both of them are on softs. Ferraris, they're pretty close on the track, both on softs. And I thought, you know, maybe signs is going to be able to make an impression here. He wasn't really able to, so it was all up to Russell and Hamilton, but I'll get back to them in a second. Because we have some interesting stuff going on behind them. From P17 on the grid, out of absolutely nowhere, Alonso overtakes Perez. Yeah, Perez was struggling. Perez is struggling so much that Max Verstappen was even able to, to get past his teammate. And I have to say, 
what a what a performance from Alonso first. I will just preface by preface this because we have to talk about what happened. Well, I guess on the last lap of the race, but also after the race between Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. This has to be the drama-iest part of the race. I know that's not a word. So, Max is able to pass Perez because Perez is really struggling on his mediums. It was just a clean pass. But, you know, they're like, okay, Max, you go after Fernando. Let's see if you can grab that position. If you can't, we're going to give the position back to Paris because Paris is in a fight for P2 in the championship with Leclerc. Max has absolutely nothing to gain from any of these races if he can't get a race win or a podium. And he, he wasn't really close to either of those things. So Max gives it a go. He's not able to catch Fernando, who was absolutely flying after the safety car restart. He just crosses the line. And Jean-Piero Lambiassi, I think I'm saying that right, that's Max's engineer. He is saying to Max, okay, Max, we're going to let Checo through. Max, let Checo through. Max, we're going to let Checo through. And then he crosses the line, and then they say, Max, what happened? And I don't have Max's quote word for word, but he says, I told you last time, or like last time, I told you, you do not ask me that again. I have my reasons and I stand by it. I like, are we clear? Like it was a pretty, <laughs> pretty aggressive radio message. And Checo, his radio was sounding like Christian Horner even came on the radio and apologized to Checo. And Checo says, shows who he really is. This is some drive to survive drama. Like I could not believe it. I was like, am I hearing what I'm hearing right now? Max and Perez, what I don't know what's going on. And the fact that like they would say these things over the radio, Perez was clearly upset about it. And the the puzzling thing for me is okay, I don't know what Max's reason is. Maybe it's somewhat valid, but he, they're just causing something that could have been absolutely nothing for a P6 finish. Like the Red Bulls finished P6 and P7. Why? Why risk bringing all this speculation and drama to the public eye when you could have just gave a pointless position back to Checo? Like, it's that part really just doesn't make any sense to me. I guess he was interviewed after the race, and Perez had some nasty comments saying that if Max has two championships, it's thanks to him. And yeah, Perez was clearly not happy, but. Max said they talked about it, and, you know, in Abu Dhabi, if he needs help, I'll help him. It's Someone also asked him something about, like, Monaco, because if you remember Monaco, Perez had qualified, I think, good enough for P3. Yeah, it would have been good enough for P3 ahead of Verstappen. And then Checo crashed, brought it to red flag, and it ended the session giving Leclerc pole, signs P2, Perez P3, Verstappen P4. So they asked if it was anything to do with Monaco, and Max said, I don't know, I'll let you decide, which pretty much is a yes, I think. When a driver's trying to be cryptic, I find it's always because they nailed it on the head and they don't want to confirm it. <laughs> like, why would you say that? What You would just be like, no, it's not about that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's definitely about Monaco. And I've seen some onboard footage also come out because Max mentioned Monaco, and it actually does look sus. But who cares? 
Who cares? It was so long ago. Max wrapped this championship up so easily. Max was slow as hell in Monaco anyway. And this isn't me being hard on Max. That was his worst weekend of the season. And he was phenomenal the rest of it. He had one bad weekend. And it was Monaco. And his teammate won. Boo-hoo. I don't understand. Why is he caring so much about a race or a qualifying session that happened that long ago to be petty enough to grab a P6 over his teammate? Like, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. And maybe I'm sounding extremely hard on Max here, but I don't understand it. And the hate that Max is getting is obviously unwarranted. The F1 community can be so damn toxic sometimes. Um, but I guess that's that's all I will mention on that topic. Let's get back to the race. We're not even done it. George Russell, I, it really seemed like their setups were maybe a little different because Lewis was flying on the straights. Every single time, Lewis was clawing back two, three tenths on George Russell, but he just could not get in DRS range. I really think George Russell maybe had a bit more downforce on his car because he was absolutely flying in sector two. But all the credit to George Russell. I'm not making an excuse at all here. George Russell had an absolutely sensational race. He controlled it from the start to the finish. He was extremely fast. He, he won with fastest lap. Full credit to George. Mercedes finally gets their first win of the season. I was not confident it was going to happen. And to be honest, if it was going to happen, I really thought it was going to be Lewis. But George Russell, after what happened in Bahrain 2020, or I guess the Sakir Grand Prix, still in Bahrain, but yeah. Um, what happened to him then? It's so, so deserved for him to get this first win. I'm so happy for him. He was obviously very emotional after the race. He was going to cry that much about Williams getting a point. You knew he was going to be emotional about him getting his first win at Mercedes. Um, yeah, honestly, just I'm so happy for Mercedes. And I guess I'll mention this really funny, uh, really quick, because this was funny. They were interviewing uh, Andrew Shevlin, uh, a Mercedes engineer, after the race, and this is because Total Wolf wasn't there. Total Wolf decided not to go. <laughs> he was he was chilling back at the factory, probably because they're focusing a little bit more on 2023. Maybe it was something else, but I know team principals will do that sometimes because when it's a lost season, the more important work is actually going on back at the factory for next year's car. I don't know if that actually was the difference, but anyway, they they bring in Total Wolf to do a virtual interview and at least on our feed, we could not hear him. And it was such a long interview. And the whole time, Sky Sports just has no idea that we can't hear Total Wolf. They just continue doing the interview. And then it ends. And then they're like, we're going to bring Total Wolf back on. <laughs> we still can't hear him. Uh, that was hilarious. But yeah, let's let's do final results. At Interlagos, P1, George Russell with fastest lap. Finally, not Max Verstappen, huh? We've had a lot of those recently. P2, Hamilton for the third consecutive weekend. P3 was Sainz, first time that no Red Bull or Leclerc has been on the podium all season. Leclerc was P4, who I think had an underrated recovery drive. Like I said, the guy was, I thought, out of the race, and he finished P4. It really makes you think, if he hadn't been taken out, could he have done better than what Sainz was able to achieve? Could he have challenged the Mercedes? I'm not sure. Sainz was also, I mean, a what could have happened because... They The Ferraris looked fast, man, and they both had unfortunate circumstances. Either way, 
a great bounce back weekend for them because Mexico was horrendous. And if Ferrari can make a stride in the winter, we could have a three-way fight at the top, like a legit one. That would be phenomenal. Uh, So yeah, P5, Alonso, absolutely stellar. What can you say? From P17 to P5, ahead of two Red Bulls. Yes, of course, Max had one hell of a struggle of a Grand Prix, but and Perez was on the wrong tires at the end. But still, Alonso had to make the move. It was brilliant racing from him. Of course, the Red Bulls are next. P6, P7, Max Perez. P8 was Ocon. Bottas was P9. Scoring again. Huge points for Alfa Romeo, by the way. And Stroll picked up P10. Bit of damage limitation on the Alfa Romeos after he passed Vettel late in the race. So that was a P10, P11 for Aston Martin. If they were both able to get ahead of Bottas, that would have been huge for them. But of course... They didn't. Drivers' Championship, Max stays atop the leaderboard while Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc are level going into Abu Dhabi. George Russell remains P4 pretty comfortably now, 25 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton, while Sainz falls further adrift despite a good result. He's now six points shy of the seven-time champ. Lando stays comfortably in P7 even after the retirement, while Ocon holds a narrow five-point advantage over Alonso, and I think this is fascinating. We might see fireworks on and above the track because Abu Dhabi always has the fireworks, right? Uh, um, I honestly think, like with the with McLaren double DNFing and Alpine looking like they're probably going to win the race for P4, I think these two care way more about beating each other than. They actually care about the constructors. Why would Alonso care about the constructors? Alonso wants to beat this bad kid, like he said. Definitely with all the unluckiness he's had. Ocon's been kind of saying some stuff in the media like, oh, I'm beating Fernando Alonso. Like, I'm having a great season. I'm making Ocon sound worse than he is. He is like somewhat of a humble guy, but he's never beat a teammate, and now he's beating Fernando Alonso. It does deserve some credit, but we all know how unlucky Alonso's been and how great he's also been at times this season when we've only seen a couple flashes from Ocon, like in Japan and Austria. Anyway, Bottas stays P10 with 49 points. In the Constructors, uh, Red Bull hold just a crazy lead over Ferrari still, but Ferrari are only 19 points ahead of Mercedes. This could be way tighter than I expected. I think I even said something a couple episodes ago that, yeah, like for for Mercedes to catch Ferrari for P2, you know, they're, they're going to need like a 1-2, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> and then they get a 1-2 with, with a brilliant result in the sprint as well. So, yeah, only 19 points. 44 is up for grabs. You know, that's what you can score if it, with another 1-2. So, it's on. It's a long shot, but it's on. And the battle for P4, unfortunately, has fizzled out a bit after a dreadful weekend from McLaren. It's 19 points for Alpine as well, and they're fighting for lower points positions. I'm afraid that one's probably over, because even with what would be a fantastic result for McLaren, a P5 and a P6, and a double retirement for Alpine, that's only 18 points. Yeah. So I'm afraid that one's over. Alfa Romeo stays P6 with a crucial extra point. Yes, I know, two points to one, you think that can't be that big of a deal. But this is why it's huge. Aston Martin is now five points um, behind, which means that either Vettel or Stroll has to finish eighth or higher. 
yes, of course, eighth is only four points. What are you talking about? That doesn't get it done. But that's because, you know, they could be eighth and ninth. That's six points. You know what I mean? Vettel or Stroll has to be eighth or higher. One of them. And that is pretty hard to do in an Aston Martin when there are McLarens and Alpines and Ferraris and Red Bulls. You know what I mean? So that is huge. When before, yes, they still had to be they still had to be eighth, I guess, because there it only would have been four points. But then they don't even need to have them both in the points. And I I I actually am not sure because Bottas had some really good results at the beginning of the season. I wonder if Alfa Romeo would have the advantage on countback. I honestly think that they would. So, yeah, I guess this makes it even trickier because then it basically means that Aston Martin needs to be 8th and ninth. That's going to be extremely difficult. So, I have to say that I really think that Alfa Romeo is going to hold on to P6. And then Haas also with another crucial point. I I did work this one out. They do have it over AlphaTauri on Countback because AlphaTauri P9 is definitely a possibility. Like that could happen and has to, you know, be at the back of the grid even. Like that's very, very possible. However, if that were to happen, Haas would still take eighth because of Mick Schumacher's P6 in Austria. You're probably thinking, well, we, no, Haas had a better result than that. Magnussen had fifth in the first race. Well, Gasly had fifth in Baku. So those two cancel out. The next best result is Mick Schumacher's P6 in Austria. That would win Haas 8th in the Constructors if AlphaTauri were to tie them. Because a P8 for AlphaTauri is a little bit more difficult than a P9. Um, and of course, Williams, they remain in P10. They only have one chance left to get into the double digits. I think that was my bold, one of my bold predictions at the very beginning of the season, that every team got into the double digits. So... Probably not going to happen, but we'll see. Now it's time for my prize demise and surprise. All right, prize. This one, I don't think it's debatable. It has to be Mercedes, right? I mean, to think where they were at the beginning of the season, like think think about Imola. Oh, that was so painful. Maybe that's why. You know what? I, I, I think I slandered the Imola sprint a little bit more than it deserved. The Imola sprint wasn't bad. We did actually have a pass for the lead near the end. Of course, uh, Max got past Charles, and I think Charles took the lead in turn one, if I if my memory serves me right. Um, but yeah, how bad was was Mercedes? It was awful. The only reason George was able to get a good result is because he kind of he had a good start, and then things kind of unfolded in front of him that allowed him to to capitalize on it. But in the sprint, they were like 11th and 13th or something like that. Like it was, it was really bad. They were both out in Q2. They lost that streak of Mercedes always getting into Q3. It was ugly, and there was plenty of races. You know, remember the porpoising? Like that's not even. No one even talks about the porpoising. Mercedes got on top of that. They had they had moments, you know, in Spain and in Britain, and then they'd have weekends where they just again were nowhere. Like Austria, I think Lewis had a good drive, but. He was nowhere near the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. It was, they just had a lot of anonymous races, kind of like what what Ferrari was in Mexico. And now three races in a row, Mercedes is in the fight for the lead and not Ferrari. That is something to behold. And then they finally get this illustrious win, which is the, the one thing that was worth fighting for for them this year. To turn the tractor of what was the W13 
into a race winning machine is definitely a massive achievement. Do I think it's as good as the RB18? No, definitely not. The RB18 is an absolutely wonderful piece of machinery, and they improved that car a lot as well. Red Bull has just has gotten all the credit already. They deserve it, absolutely. They have done an amazing job. They have a phenomenal driver in Max Verstappen and a really good second driver in Sergio Perez as well. So Red Bull deserves all the credit they get, but this one was all about Mercedes. They get the one-two. They get the sprint win. This was their weekend, and I think it sets up for what could be a great year in 2023, and I cannot wait. Now, let's talk demise. Um, another really easy one for me. I've, I've, I've had the past couple prizes, prizes and demises. I'm kind of shouting out two because it's kind of hard. You know, I think two people done really well. These are two slam dunks. Demise has to be McLaren. McLaren just... After what I said in their in the championship segment from the last race, between McLaren and Alpine, I said if McLaren is going to pull this off, it's because of Alpine's poor reliability. And, of course, Daniel, that wasn't a reliability issue. He took himself out. But was Daniel going to score in the first place? That was another point that I made. But it was basically Lando versus the Alpines all season long. So with Daniel out of it, not that big of a deal. It did help the Alpines catch up because there was two people that they would have had to pass. But anyway, Lando breaks down for the first time all season. Another thing that I mentioned, I didn't think that he had ever break down. And just the worst time when Daniel's not even there to pick up something for the team. They double DNF. Alonso has an absolutely stellar race. Ocon still finishes in the points. And they were in the championships over. It's just like that. It's over. McLaren had a shot at P4. I, I've been pretty adamant that I think the Alpine is the faster car this season. And they're the ones blowing it. So Alpine probably does deserve it in terms of their car performance. But McLaren, I think, deserved it in terms of how their team has been operating strategy-wise in the pit stops. And just consistently being there and being reliable. Yes, they had horrible weekends in Bahrain and Canada. But I was looking forward to this one going down to the to the wire. And it's all gone because of this dreadful Brazilian weekend for McLaren. And the surprise, I kind of purposely didn't mention this in the recap. Because the recap, for one, took long enough as it was. But it has to be the sprint. The sprint surprised me. I have egg all over my face right now because I was getting critical of the sprints. And I said, I was even slandering Brazil. I, I love Interlagos. And I was talking about how it's one of my favorite tracks. But I was slandering it. I was saying the only reason the sprint was good last year was because Lewis was in P20. Yes, there was a mixed up grid here again, which always helps. We had Magnuson on pole for God's sakes. Um, and Hamilton, Perez, Leclerc, 8, 9, 10. All that helped. But it didn't matter because once Magnuson was out of the way and all those guys had caught up, it was still a banger. It was still a banger. Verstappen on the wrong tires. Russell with an amazing battle with Verstappen. Then Sainz pulls off this crazy lunge on Verstappen. Hamilton passes Verstappen. It was just epic the whole way through. We had the drama with the Alpines. We had the craziness with, with Stroll and Vettel. 
the sprint was fantastic. And I think that F1, Brazil's the only one that's had two sprints so far. They tried Austria and Imola this year. They tried Monza and Britain last year. Brazil has to stay a sprint weekend, right? This was the best weekend of the year. Silverstone was fantastic, but come on. This weekend was just sensational, and this is the pitch for the sprints from now on. Look at the 2022 Brazilian weekend. How freaking fantastic was that? What a weekend for Formula 1, honestly. The Brazilian fans, amazing. And also, by the way, apparently Lewis Hamilton does know Portuguese. I said that he was a man from Stevenage who didn't. He knows uh, Obrigado and Te Amo, so... I don't know. <laughs> he knows those two words, which I don't know. I think it's thank you and I love you. I, I, I'm not sure. But, uh, that yeah, I had to make that joke. But, yeah, what a sprint weekend. What a weekend. Like, Haas on pole. George Russell first win. Fantastic sprint race. What else could you ask for? Interlagos, I think, may have just usurped Silverstone as my favorite track. Unbelievable. The races that we've had here this weekend. 2019, 2021, 2012, 2003. Like, it, the list goes on and on and on and on forever. And, yeah, I just, I can't get enough of this, of this weekend. Please, please make it the finale again. <laughs> because you'll see in my preview, I will have some harsh words for Abu Dhabi. But speaking of Abu Dhabi, guys, uh, we've been talking for a long time. And I think with all the storylines and basically everything that there is that has to be said about this upcoming Abu Dhabi race, the final Grand Prix of the Formula One season. I've decided that I'll be making two episodes this week. I'm going to cut this one here, talk about all the things that are played for next, all, all things that are to play for next week. The The championship segment's going to have to wait. Um, of course, you know, we have some guys who will be potentially leaving Formula One after the race as well. There's there's a ton of ton of stuff to talk about. So I guess it was a wet race episode. We're not doing the pit stop. Uh, or maybe it was a sprint. Maybe it was a sprint. And, you know, Thursday's episode is going to be the Grand Prix. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I, I, if this was a sprint, this was a slow, slow sprint. Because we have been on here for a while. And anyone who is still listening at this point, thank you so much. I I appreciate all my listeners. You guys are the best. But that will do it for the Sergey Sorotkin episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back with episode 36 this week to preview the final race of the season, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, our last race with Sebastian Vettel. Goodbye. <laughs>